The Mix Coalition, a community of musicians, producers, and engineers uniting to create and release great records. Become a member today by visiting themixco.com. We look forward to having you as part of our growing team. Hey everyone, Brian from the Mixco here. Today we have John Weil from Fuzzy Walls Mastering on the phone with us. So you're the owner and lead engineer of Fuzzy Walls Mastering in Seattle, Washington. Let us know a little bit about your studio and what you do. Well, like you said, I'm in Washington now, um, and I do mostly mastering and mixing. Um, I moved here to uh, Washington about a year ago from Arizona, where uh, that's kind of where I built up my following and my current client base is still pretty much from an Ari- from Arizona. Um, Phoenix area specifically. Um, let's see. My studio now, like I kind of said, is it's mostly mixing and mastering. Um, it's in my home and it's, you know, it's a sizable studio, but I don't have nearly enough room or really even the desire to record, you know, full bands or anything here. So it's mostly the, what some people would call post work, I guess. Um, mostly mastering and some mixing. Um, but I've, I've done so much recording that if the right uh, opportunity was to come up, I'd happily do it at like a local studio or at someone's house. It just really depends on uh, what they're trying to do and if I'm into it. So what got you into mastering um, or what got you started in mastering? Well, it was kind of a slow thing. I didn't, you know, wake up at one day and decide I wanted to do mastering and I'm sure that's a very common thing. My story is probably actually pretty common. I, you know, went from being a musician to recording myself to uh, getting more into recording, and once you get into recording, you learn what mixing is. And then more recently, I started learning what mastering was. And, uh, you know, because I've always been recording for as long as I can remember, um, how do I put this, I've been kind of self-mastering. I've only maybe once in my life, until I even knew what it was, really had uh, dealt with it without it being me. Um, you know, most people I've recorded and mixed over the last 10, 20 years they a lot of times couldn't afford mastering or didn't know what it was, so I'd end up doing it by default. And uh, it went from this kind of necessary, necessary evil that I didn't know much about to kind of beating out everything else. It, it kind of got me. <laughs> and I feel like, uh, in a way, that's maybe not what I'm best at, but what I like doing the most right now, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned that you started off, you know, like most of us do in recording and and mixing, do you still work uh, in that realm from time to time, or um, at least recording-wise, do you still are you, do you still find yourself recording projects, or do you stick stick mostly to mixing and mastering? Well, right now, the only uh, recording projects that I'm doing, the actual recording I'm doing, is of my own group with my fiance. We have a little group called Perverts in Love. It's more for fun than anything else. You know, we're not trying to make money off it. So we record at home, and I kind of get my recording, uh, what's it called, fixed by doing that. Uh, there's also another band in town called Beef Supreme, and when they're ready to do their next EP, I'm probably going to record that. And uh, I actually know them from back in Arizona. I've recorded tons of albums with them, uh, recording, mixing, and mastering. Um, but I've just become so busy with the mastering and mixing that uh kind of lost uh, interest at least in pursuing recording, at least at the level where I'm seeking bands out and making advertisements about it on my site. Yeah, and I'm I same same with me. I have I'm in the same boat with recording where 
I've um, focused mostly on mixing now. Uh, interesting question yeah, to play yeah. off the last to play off that last one. When you re- when you record and mix a song, do you master that song that you've recorded and mixing, or do you look to outsource to get a second set of ears at that point for the mastering? It, it really depends on a bunch of things. If it's my group, I'll master it almost out of uh, money concerns and out of the serious concerns. Um, if I've recorded someone and mixed them, and then especially if they uh, want mastering done quickly, like I won't have a chance to refresh my ears, then I insist, I, I you know, heavily insist that they send it to someone that I trust other than me for mastering. Um, but I don't mind mastering what I've recorded and or mixed as long as I get a break from it. You know, I, I'm sure you can relate as if you're sitting down to master something that you still you know, you just mix and you're still caught up on the snare drum or the guitars. I feel like that's the worst mentality you could be in to properly master something. So it kind of Absolutely. depends on the time frame and the budget, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, yeah, so could you let us know a little bit about some of your go-to gear and how you apply it during the master, and how you apply it during the mastering stage? Sure. Um, like I'm sure a lot of people say, it's always changing, um, slowly, albeit. I'd say the most consistent piece of go-to gear is Pro Tools. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I can only record into Pro Tools or have some sort of Pro Tools obsession, but from recording, mixing, and mastering, that is the thing that works for me over and over and over again. Um, you know, Pro Tools on a Mac. Although it is becoming a little less bulletproof, as you know. Um, in fact, I'm almost wondering if... <laughs> if Pro Tools is starting to see the end of its life cycle. But, you know, that's one is Pro Tools. I'm using version 11, and I like it. Um, not really upgrading because it works. That's one thing I've learned is if it, where they say, don't fix it unless it's broken, or if it's not broken, don't fix it. Uh, I mm-hmm. kind of apply that to anything software, kind of like you were saying with your lap. Uh, the second you upgrade too much, it's the ultimate downgrade. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, as far as mastering, as far and as far as like you know, juicy little gear tip bits. I probably that came out weird. I really like my <laughs> Universal Audio twenty one ninety two converter. Uh, I hmm. noticed that almost no one uses this anymore, and uh, to me, it's kind of like a magical piece of gear. I almost am afraid sometimes to say too much about it, <laughs> uh, but that's definitely go to. You can. Uh, you can hit that so hard if you're trying to get level and it won't crap out, especially if you compare it to, say, just like an in-the-box limiter. It is night and day difference. Uh, it also has this kind of soft saturation harmonics thing to it, um, which just always sounds good. It's so rare that it's doing too much or it doesn't match the project. Um and I'd say maybe in those 10 to 15% of cases where it isn't perfect, I'll go in the box or use my MyTech converter. Um, so the 2192 is a big one. And uh, the other one I'd throw in there is my Elysia. I don't know if I'm even saying the company's name right. I've got one of their compressors and one of their EQs. And although sometimes I'll bypass one of them in the chain for mastering, they're almost always there. And they just work so good for me, especially in conjunction with that 2192 converter. All right, perfect. Um, yeah, so in my experience, mastering is one of the most misunderstood processes when it comes to making a record. A lot of times, oh, yeah. guys will even call me 
and ask me to master their song when they, in fact, want me to mix it. Um, oh, yeah. Ask if I record and master. So a lot of times they don't really understand what's happening when you say um, you need to master the song. Um, so to you, how would you define mastering or how would you explain it to someone who doesn't who hasn't necessarily gone through the process before? Um, what I do, I mean, of course, you know, mastering, even when you know what you're talking about, has so many different meanings. You know, going back to the master tape, you know, that to me mm-hmm. seems like such a weird term. It was the master tape, but it wasn't mastered yet. You know, it's like calling red, red, but it's really blue. Um, what? So basically, because what I'm doing is pre-mastering technically, because I'm not actually making the disc, which I guess is technically the, the real mastering, is when it actually gets printed or that mother copy gets made. I basically explain that I'm doing everything between the mixing um, all the way up to making that CD. Um, another differentiation I like to throw out, because sometimes people still don't understand, like if they don't understand what mixing is, then what I just said means nothing. <laughs> um, you know, I'll say that I'm not really changing levels within your mix. I'm not going to radically change the sound of it. I'm just finishing it. And uh, another thing I'd like to tell people is, especially when they just, they're clueless and, and all these terms mean nothing to them, I tell them, hey, you know when you listen to a professionally done CD or you buy one at the store, when you play it in your car, all the songs sound like the same level and you don't ever have to reach for the bass or treble and only they'll say, yeah, but have you ever listened to a CD that someone just put together or dubbed from a bunch of different sources and you ever noticed how you have to change the volume a lot and sometimes turn the bass and treble up? And only they'll say, oh, yeah. Say, well, basically, I'm the guy that fixes all that so that the professionally mastered CD um, sounds even and, and all that stuff. That normally gets the point across pretty well, especially when they've kind of been ruined with a lot of bad terminology. Like you were saying, people, they think mixing is mastering. They think mastering is mixing, and they'll use those words interchangeably. Uh, so sometimes you got to cut through that pretty quick. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And the way you explain it is a perfect example too and help someone who doesn't really understand you know all the audio terms there's a lot of they can geek out about all the terms and all the specifications and all that and someone who's kind of new to the process will will get lost so breaking it down like that really helps them understand it yeah i noticed Um, my fiance she's an archaeologist and she'll all say, so what are you doing and the second that one of those uh abbreviations kicks in or one of those words i don't know the rest doesn't mean anything. So, yeah, there's a lot of gobbledygook in our audio engineering lifestyles. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, pretty much any any technical field, I've noticed. That's, true. That's very true. Um, I know I've always liked, uh, thinking of writing for me, has always been that collaborative process. I mean, I like to uh, feel like I'm involved, not just not just me, but I'm that band and I have are clicking and um, the mastering engineer who, Masters, the mix that I submitted, the two of us are clicking. Do you do you do you prefer to have a pipeline to the mix engineer for a project? Um, that way you can let the engineer know if something needs adjusting before you do your part to make it the best possible or best possible outcome. Or um, do you prefer to just kind of do your own thing when you receive a mix? Um, it really goes anywhere between. There's times where I'd really like to be able to talk to the engineer, especially if there's, like, a major technical problem. Um, Or sometimes if the client's just not communicating, like, 
they don't get at all what I'm trying to ask. You know, I'll be asking them stuff about the mastering, and it's just, you know, in one ear, out the other. Sometimes it's nice to have a pipeline in the engineer. But what I – how do I put this? On the other hand, I'm not one of these guys that's going to listen to the mix and then try to tell the mix engineer what to do. In fact, I know quite a few mixers that that's like the worst thing you could do as a mastering engineer is tell them, hey, I listened to your mix, and I think you limited it too hard. So I'm also very careful to not step on their toes because, you know, if they want to limit the mix and they think that sounds great, then that really, you know, is out of my control. <laughs> and, uh, right. You know, just try to, I try to be flexible. I just, I want the artist to be happiest in the end is what it comes down to. Is if I feel like that pipeline is necessary to get the best job done, I'll do it. And if I feel like, nah, they already know what they're doing, they just want this quick and easy, then I'll just do my thing and stay out of the way. That yeah, makes, makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Um, that's kind of my mentality too. Um, and I've always, I've never minded if someone told me to, to fix something, but I can understand how, you know, different, different folks, different strokes i suppose uh, mm-hmm. you know um me i've always no, I, me i've always like I, I don't mind going back to the mix that means a little better the song and i and i'm um try not to get too crazy with experimenting with different versions but um yeah, i do if someone if someone says something and i give me a suggestion and it sounds like it could work i am almost always going to want to try it as long as the artist wants to try it if the, if the artist is like no the mix is where it is Let's move forward with that, then I'll ignore my my impulse. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, like that egoless uh, approach, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this question you probably have been asked before and answered a bunch of times, but um, the loudness wars. Um, it's kind of it seems like it's tapered off a bit, but it definitely is still ongoing. Um, mm-hmm. Do you could you explain? To everyone out there, maybe why dynamics in a song is so important, and do you happen to notice a shift in how loud today's music is from a few years ago? Um, no, that's that's always a fun and tough one. Uh, to relate it back to the previous question, too, real quick, that is one reason that I would have like an extensive conversation with the mix engineer is if we're going for super loud. A lot of times, there's going to be considerations on the mixer's end. So uh, that's something that I'll let them know, you know, is that the arrangement won't allow the loudness or they've smashed it so much that I can't get it louder. But like you said, uh, it is kind of, uh, how do I say it, it's winding down a little bit, um, at least on my end as far as, you know, five years ago, every client wanted it loud, and they really didn't care about what I'd have to say about that. And now I'm getting more and more people that will actually say, I like dynamics, or it doesn't have to be loud. And a lot more people are a little bit more open when I tell them, hey, it's going to be normalized to a certain volume anyways. Don't you want to make the sound awesome, not just loud on one system? So people are, are opening their minds a little bit. I think the general knowledge is getting out there a little bit. Um, but like you said, on the other hand, there's still certain styles of music, and I still have quite a few clients that it can never be loud enough. And mm-hmm. for lack of, for, how do I say it? I don't want to sound negative, but sometimes I just feel like these people just can't hear. And that me trying to explain to them what's bad or good doesn't matter if they can't hear the difference, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I try to make those people happy too. I can make it super loud and distorted. Cool. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, and you still, and you, you'll even hear songs, uh, 
level of list to anybody. You'll even hear songs sometimes on the radio, commercial releases, where I feel like a little bit too much, um, too much was done with, um, oh, yeah. with trying to focus on a certain loudness rather than trying to maintain any type of integrity to dynamic range. But like you said, it really is up to, really up to the artist and the artist team at that point, whether, you know, it's, it's whether they want to sacrifice dynamics for loudness or whether they want to keep some of those dynamics but still be what I would consider reason. I've never I've never brought a song to a master one of my mixes to a mastering engineer and they've not made it loud enough for me. It's always been loud enough for me. I've I've never been a big fan of the, the crazy loud songs. But probably because um, you can hear the difference. You know what? I didn't hear no. some of these artifacts until fairly recently when I started mastering and I started noticing that some of these masters that I used to think sounded amazing, I was hearing like audible distortion on it. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. Slipknot, it's one of my favorite bands. And, you know, even as few as four years ago, I thought that was some of the best mastering ever. And then recently when I've been just doing mastering day in and day out, I'll put on that stuff and you can hear not just the clipping of like a snare drum, but literally like RMS clipping where you can hear the whole mix just, give and crunch and yeah it's amazing and uh same thing with this reference this client gave me the other day i want to say it was like papa roach's new cd i was amazed that 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 anyone okayed that crazy <laughs> you know, no dynamics at all but but you were asking too how important are dynamics i, I kind of want to add to the last thing to this that sometimes they're not important at all i think sometimes you know, yeah, if you're an audiophile and you listen to symphony and you've got a system that can reproduce that, then awesome. Dynamics are the best thing. But I'd say 80% of people out there are listening through an iPhone, you know, on a loud bus. And in that case, you kind of don't want dynamics, you know. Right. So that's, that's a consideration, too, is they're not always the best thing either. Yeah, good point. Good point, yeah. So... So moving on to something a little bit less technical, you know, what kind of projects do you get most excited about working on? I'd say uh, probably anything where I genuinely enjoy the music. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I work on where I I don't totally love it, but I can still do my thing and enjoy it in general. But when something comes in, whether it's recording, mixing, or mastering, or some combination of all those, if it's music that I would listen to, then that is just the best thing ever. That's when I'm thinking to myself, how am I getting paid for this? Because this is what I'd do if I was rich for fun, you know? Um, so that's a big deal. And the other stuff I like um, is when I don't have to muck around too much, for lack of better words. I'd rather get something that sounds good, master it, and be able to turn it around and enjoy it than have to go through a demo with somebody, do a tr- trillion edits, record it twice, audit tune the heck out of it, then mix it. You know, by the time it comes through mastering, I'm just done with it. Um, so there's a certain amount of quickness and, I guess, efficiency that uh, also makes me tick and happy. Got it. And I'm sure that's every engineer would say the same thing. I don't think anyone loves editing drums for 10 days straight, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> that's true, yeah. That's, that's, been, that's been the um, mix and uh, master engineers. Um, Mastering engineers, the most common common answer to a question like that is, you know, something that was tracked well, not necessarily just recorded well, but performed well and recorded well. So then you're starting with something that sounds great right out of the box and 
you don't have to fix anything. You just have to enhance it at that point. Exactly. Or sometimes the best thing, even though it's so hard for me to do, and I've only had to do it once or twice, is where I essentially do nothing. It's really hard, but sometimes that's the best moment when I realize that all it needed was half a decibel and, like, a format change. Um, and the mixer loves hearing that, too, normally, but it's kind of rare. <laughs> and it is kind of I've, I've had moments where I spent an hour, hours on, on a song and realized I was I was destroying it. It was just sounds <laughs> like I was doing too much. I was trying to get too creative with it, how to backtrack and um, just keep things simple and just go with what sounds right. That's what that's what advice every every engineer gives out is if it sounds good, don't fix it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Waste of time to mess with it. Yeah, so um do you have any interesting projects um you could let us know about anything you're working on currently that uh you clue us in on? Well, that's always the hardest question because when I'm done answering it I always feel like I just get the most important person. Um <laughs> I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my own group, but I feel like that's kind of silly. Sorry about my dog. She's a little excited about her mom coming home. Chiming in. Yeah. There's been a lot of masters I've done recently for a guy named Josh Medina. He's a mixing engineer out of Phoenix. And uh, even his network of people and a lot of the stuff that he and some of his co-engineers are sending me are this kind of sludgy... 90s-ish, but heavier stuff. And uh, there's a band called The Living Receiver, a band, you know, this would be easier maybe to do in the, in the text part, because like I said, I know I'm going to miss it, but just like anything that's heavier rock that I'm just mastering, that's been really interesting for me, because I feel like I can just turn this stuff around real fast, and uh, there's not a lot of second guessing. I'm also mixing a project for this uh, electronic guy, um, sounds a little bit like an artist named Flume, and it's a lot of fun for me because it's almost like mixing a movie soundtrack, um, but with like heavy 808s and stuff like that. It gives me a lot of chance to do my thing, and the artist is a lot of fun to work with. And his name is Nebulax. That's cool. But, cool. Yeah, I'll write that up better, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely have to check that out once once everything's released. Um, soon. Yeah, and lastly, um, is there anything else we should know about you or Fuzzy Walls Mastering? That's always a tough one because I know there's so much more. Um, <laughs> but I, I'd say the other thing that I should throw out there um, is that my brother and I, and my brother who's a drummer and I grew up with playing music, we're starting to think about opening like a multi-room studio out here. And this is way off, but that's, you know, when you said, is there anything else we should know, that kind of fits that bill. It's like, what's next and what's on the horizon is this might get even bigger than just me um, here at this little studio. Well, thanks, John. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, definitely some great information. Um, yeah, thanks again. Of course. Thank you.